1: The work of God cannot be stopped. So if I'm going to live for the sake of the name, I'm going to live in obedience. I'm going to tell his story. And then I'm going to depend on his power. Because in his power, I can find great strength. And with his power, I can do all things. Seen the church, one thing is clear. When the church was born, she burst on the scene with great power. There was no question about the message. The message of Jesus was prominent, the Holy Spirit of God was evident, and the church, those people, were relevant. I don't think that's how most people see the church today. It doesn't seem that the message of Jesus is as prominent at the center of what we do. It doesn't seem that the power of the Holy Spirit is as evident. And it seems like in many people's lives, the church is not relevant. And so people ask, your neighbors, your family members, my friends, our co-workers, they ask, why bother? Why bother? What difference does it make? They look at our lives and they question whether or not the church is even needed. And so the question I want to ask today is, how did we get from there, what we've read about in here, to where we are today? How did we get to this kind of place? And I think the answer is pretty simple. It would seem that many of us who make up the church, remember what we learned, many of us as children, here's the church, here's the steeple, open up see all the people. The people, we that make up the church, many of us must not possess what we profess. Many of us must not really get it. You've heard that phrase before, right? Well, he just doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. I love this quote from Malcolm Mulgridge. It says, every happening, great and small, is a parable whereby God speaks to us and the art of life is to get the message. Let me read that again. Every happening, great and small, is a parable whereby God speaks to us and the art of life is to get the message. It could be said the art of life, the art of the Christian faith, the journey we're on is to get, to truly understand, to live, and to apply the message of Christ in our lives. And it seems like in the earliest days of the church, the people got it. Now, I say the earliest days because, as you're going to see, it didn't take long for that to change. And so the Apostle Paul would write to the carnal people in Corinth, and by the time we get to chapter 5, we find out that one of the guys in the church is, is actually having an incestuous affair. He, he would write to other Christ followers and he would say, When are you going to wake up? You act like you're asleep. So the church eventually did begin to look like maybe even what we look like today. But in the earliest moments, they seemed to got it. In fact, they were casting a shadow, a large shadow on the world around them. So let me just remind you how we got to Acts chapter 5 that we're about to read. So Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, the apostles went out, and lost people came in. And the church was born. And, and we learn in Acts chapter 2, there were these pillows of pillars of faithfulness that the church was built on uh, that allowed them to grow and become all that God wanted them to be. And this band of followers that started with 120 and quickly grew into the thousands were rocking their world inside out and upside down. And great change was taking place and people began to notice. One of the great stories early in the book of Acts is when Peter heals a man who was born lame. you Remember the great quote? Some of you have heard this verse of scripture. When he was begging for money, Peter turns to him and says, silver or gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up. And walk, and the man does, and amazing things begin to happen because people begin to see, wow, that guy who's been begging all of his life is now running around like he's a marathon runner. How did this happen? And so Peter uses as an opportunity to preach his second message. Here's a test. It's coming right now. And what was the theme of his second message? (laughs) That's right. This side, much stronger than that side again today. The theme of the message was Jesus and so he gets up and he proclaims the story of Jesus. And as he does, the religious people, they get very upset and they call Peter and the apostles in. And they say, you've got to stop this. It's not okay. You're stirring things up. And, and don't miss what happens in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 18. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak to what we've seen and heard. And, and what an example of how we should live, right? To be so changed by the message of Jesus that we say, hey, I don't even have to try. I can't help but let this bubble up out of me. I can't help but let others see who Jesus is in me. Peter was saying, hey, you've got to do what you've got to do, but we've got to do what we've got to do. In other words, he was saying, bring it on. Take your best shot. Because we're not changing. That's the kind of raw and real faith that you see of these early Christ followers. So passionate about what they believed that they were really ready to take on hell with a water pistol. They weren't afraid of the attacks of the enemy. And and so God continued to bless the church. And, And when the enemy couldn't attack them From without, what did he begin to do? He turned inward. And just a reminder that there is an enemy. You have one enemy, really. He's roaming to and fro, he's seeking to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's after you and your mama. He's a liar, he's a deceiver. And he will seek to destroy the church, you from without. And when he can't, he'll turn inward. And so we see him turn inward. And that's when we're introduced to this couple we met last week named Ananias and Sapphira. And they were really impressed with what this man named Barnabas had done. So they decided to sell some land they had. But they conspired together. And they pretended that they were giving everything they had sold from the land, made from the sale of the land, to the church. But they weren't. And so Peter confronted them and said, why are you lying? And long story short, you can go back and read it or listen to last week, but Ananias dropped dead. A little bit later, just a few hours later, Sapphira dropped dead, and we see God disciplining the church. And we're reminded that there's always blessings that come with obedience, and there's always burdens, or you could even say curses, that come with disobedience. We always have the consequences that come as a result of our actions. But after that, what happened? Look at verse 14 of Acts chapter 5. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Aren't you grateful that God's a God of second chances and third chances and 498th chances? And I just tell you, as a pastor... um, Man, I, I think about the, the ministry God's given me thus far, and I'm, I'm so thankful that not only God has been gracious, but that there have been people gracious with me. Uh, I look back at some of the earliest messages that I preached, John, and I think, good night. How did anybody sit through that? Uh, I look back at some of the choices I've made and, and just think, man, I'm so thankful that God is not limited by my past. And so here, you you have God taking them through an obstacle. And I love that phrase, more than ever. I, by the way, I would pray that that would be God's will for this church. That in our future, He would work more than ever in our past. Look at verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick onto the streets and laid them on cots and mats. And as Peter came by at least his shadow might fall on some of them. So do you understand just the vibrancy of the church? People were saying, I'm just telling you, even if Peter won't talk to us, let me just get close to him. And maybe when his shadow touches me or my clothing, I will sense the power. When's the last last time someone said that to you? Say, hey, we don't have to talk. Let's just get nearby one another, and let me feel the Holy Spirit energy coming through you. I mean, that that's what happened. That's what was taking place in the early church. And, and I think that principle is still true. When God's power is at work in and through you, it casts a holy shadow on your little corner of the world. The people around you begin to take notice and they go, wow, something is different in that man. Something's different in that woman. I want what they have. And so the church continued to focus on the name of Jesus and the church continued to grow. And the enemy continued to get irritated. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How did... How did these folks respond to another specific attack of the enemy? Look at verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles, and they put them in public prison. So here you have the church, very young. And isn't it interesting? Pride and jealousy start stirring things up. Don't raise your hands on this one. But I bet there's more than a few of us who have been a part of churches where pride and jealousy got in the way of what God was wanting to do. and We see difficulty and obstacle arise. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to the Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. So what takes place? So um, the leaders throw Peter and the apostles into jail. But an interesting thing happens. In the jail, we're not told that any chains were broken. We're not told that anybody was hurt. But an angel of the Lord comes, stands before Peter and the apostles and says, Hey, you guys get out of here. Go to the temple and keep telling people about Jesus. And bam, they're gone. The jailbirds flew the coop. The next morning, the leader of the Sadducees wakes up. Oh, yeah, I've got to deal with those crazy Christ followers. Go get them and bring them to me. When the guards come back, they say, Hey, they're not there. And the strangest thing happened the doors are still locked, the chains are still there, but the guys are not inside. And you're not going to believe this. They're at the temple doing exactly what you told them not to do. And that's where you find verse 27. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. The high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Hey, I'm just going to tell you, one thing's clear about the early church. They weren't fighting about the minor differences they had on issues that didn't matter, they were focused on one thing, the name of Jesus. Everything they did, they did for the sake of the name of Jesus. And I'm just telling you, I long for a day where, where I can be a part of a church where regularly we say, you know, everything else falls in comparison to the emphasis we put on the name of Jesus. We're going to be jealous about lifting up the name of Jesus. Everything these Christ followers did, they did for the sake of his name. Now I want you to think about that phrase. Let's say that, for the sake of his name. All throughout the Old Testament, in Psalms and throughout the prophets, you see God talking about what he does for the sake of his name. But an interesting thing happens. Jesus, who claims to be God... In the New Testament, starts saying that about himself. So in Matthew 24, 9, it says, you'll be hated for my name's sake. In Acts 9, 16, referring to Jesus, it says, he must suffer for the sake of my name. First John 2, 12 says, your sins are forgiven for his, that's Jesus, name's sake. Third John 1, 7 says, they've gone out for his name's sake. Revelation 2, 3 says, you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. So what does this phrase mean? To live For the sake of his name. I'm going to tell you. To live for the sake of the name of Jesus means to live for his glory, his honor, his pleasure, and his praise. And here's the deal. Regardless of your age, regardless of your stage of life, every one of us is living for somebody's name. Now, for a lot of us, it's just our name. We're watching out for numero uno. We're we're taking care of ourselves, right? Because nobody else is going to watch out for me. So, So we live for what's in our best interest. But for some of us, we're living for somebody else's namesake. I see a lot of parents, they live for their children's namesake. And I even see grandparents who live for their grandchildren's namesake. Some live for the name they want to have, so they live for their job or or for their bank account. But we're all living for someone. Psalm 79 9 says, help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us, atone for our sin, for your name's sake. Here's what I want us to get today. You know, we're talking about getting it. Here's what I want us to get. When you live for Jesus, you're making a conscious decision To live for the sake of his name. So what does it look like? Can we really make that practical? What does it look like to live for the sake of his name? I I think you find that in the response of these earliest apostles. Remember what had happened? The Sadducees said, I told you, stop it. Stop talking about his name. Stop mentioning his name. Stop preaching his name. Stop it. What did they do? Look at verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. Let's read that underlined phrase together. We must obey God rather than man. One more time. We must obey God rather than man. What does it mean to live for the sake of the name of Jesus? When you live for the sake of his name, you obey his commands. It's simple. Obedience has always been a defining mark of the Christian life. In the earliest writings in the New Testaments, we see that to be a follower of Jesus, if you love Him, you do what He says. You obey His commands. That doesn't mean there won't be obstacles to obedience. But you make a decision to obey what He said to do. Obedience, we've already discovered, always brings His blessings. And disobedience always results in consequences. We are still in our household trying to implant this principle of first-time obedience. When mom or dad says to do something, you obey what we say to do. So yesterday we had a long drive back from South Carolina. And let's just say there were more opportunities to teach this lesson often we get a question back in response to something we've asked and done. Why? And and so we say, sometimes you just do it because I said so. But then we get more questions. And here's the question. If not, what? And then this precious little girl says this word. With the question mark. Consequence. She understands that with disobedience comes consequences. But here's her challenge. She's wrestling through whether or not she's just willing to take the consequence. I think some of us are in the same boat. We recognize that obedience brings blessing. We recognize that disobedience brings consequence. But sometimes we just say, that's all right. I'll just suffer the consequences. I want to ask you a simple and straightforward question today. Are you living in obedience to the things that God has already told you to do? Most of us, it's not the problem of what we don't know to do. We're not doing the things we know to do. So, for example, is there anything God's told you to do that you're not doing? Is there a sin that you need to confess? Is there a relationship that you need to take the step to restore? Is there a discipline or a habit that you need to develop? Is there a gift that you need to give? And it may be a, a gift in faithfulness to the Lord's church, but it may be a gift that God has laid on your heart about giving to someone, a gift that, that you're supposed to give to someone. I love what Adrian Rogers, the great preacher, used to say, dead noses smell no roses. He was saying, do your giving while they're living. Is there a gift you need to give? Is there a testimony or witness that you need to express? I want to remind you that delayed obedience or, or partial obedience is still disobedience. Are you being obedient? When you live for the sake of his name, you live in obedience. But here's the second thing. Look at verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Now remember what had just happened. They're standing in the presence of the Sadducees. And what did the leader of the Sadducees just say to him? Stop talking about Jesus. What does Peter do? Uh, The God of our fathers raised Jesus. He's just stirring the pot. You know, in general, we shouldn't be pot stirrers. But when it comes to the name of Jesus, I believe he's honored when we just stir the pot. He stirred the pot because, remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. And and so Peter says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we're witnesses to these things. So as the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. See, when you live for the sake of his name, you tell his story. You you just have to. The apostles responded to the challenge to be silent with shouts of praise to Jesus. Is that how you respond to the obstacles in your life? Again, in South Carolina, I was just reminded of the funny things about growing up in South, so there are things we just say. Like, if you see somebody that just needs a little help, what do we say? We say, Bless his heart. Yeah, bless his heart. Or if somebody's going through something difficult, a challenge, maybe they say, Praise the Lord. But that should be our response. We should find a way to just shout praises and honor to Jesus. It's it's simply unbiblical to say that you're living for the name of Christ and yet your life and testimony is not telling the story.
0: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement